Well, take a seat. How good is it to worship with such gusto this morning in the room? Sometimes it can feel like we worship from just up here, but this morning it felt like as church we were worshiping from down here in the depths of our bellies, from the very middle of our beings, resonating with the good news that Jesus is alive. And it is wonderful to be able to celebrate that truth and that reality with all of you this morning as a family. Uh, Kids, if you haven't yet got yourself a little coloring in pack, you can go up the back there and get a little um, little activity pack that you can do some coloring in um, and whatnot for the next hour and a half. (laughs) So... Before I do get started as well, I've got a, um, <laughs> got a few issues we need to deal with. No, if you were here last Sunday, uh, we spoke about the art of celebration. And um, part of that was we watched a video um, by a mob called the Rend Collective. And, and part of that video, there was a scene where some adults were gathered and they were having at it at a piñata Um, in the middle of them worshipping God together. Um, And so I wasn't able to get it happening from the roof this morning in here. However, after our service this morning, there is a piñata full of Easter eggs um, outside in the foyer, and we are going to build a big circle out there after our service this morning, and we're going to have a bit of a piñata off. And um, I'm going to get three volunteers involved um, in this activity, and I think it would be um, good being as seeing as though we've got all the kids to have kind of an intergenerational pinata whacking competition. And um, because Gav was the one that came up with let's keep whacking the pinata of heaven, um, you're going to hold the pinata whacking stick for the service. Um, so you're going to be, and we're going to find a few volunteers. I think it should be you versus Jesse Dixon. Um, verse Luba Munro. Watch out, the both of you. You might be thinking, I've got this in the bag, but I have seen Luba's finest work. And you are in for some trouble. Oh, very good. Uh, yesterday, Elise and I had the privilege of spending the day down at the Christian Surfers Australia National Gathering. Uh, the family of Christian Surfers from all around the nation meeting at Stanwell Tops for their 40th uh, national gathering. And uh, it was a, a rich time together with the broader uh, family of Christian surfers. And we worshipped God and we uh, heard from the word and had some great connection. And last night I was chatting with a young guy who I'd just met from uh, the northern beaches. And he had made a decision to follow Jesus as a teenager, uh, perhaps as many of, of you have. And and I did. Uh, and as life does, it took, it took its twists and turns for this young lad. He described his, uh, his rock-bottom experience, the point at which depression and anxiety and a path before him of which he could see only one end began unfurling before him. But he described that God had other plans And he described to me the grace and the kindness that God had shown to him and how God's love had brought him back from the brink. And he spoke to me last night about his purpose and hope and life that God had breathed back into him again. 
And in that moment and in this, I'm reminded of the simple gospel. That God takes lives which are broken. He takes humanity which is in despair. And he renews it and he restores it. And we call it the coming of his kingdom again. And so this morning we stop and we pause and we recognize the simplicity of the gospel. That God would take our broken lives and our broken world, and he would love it back to wholeness. So I want to remind us that the story of the world and the story of your life is far from over. That God has always been and always will be involving himself in the people and the places he loves. God is here, that he loves you deeply, and that he is rewriting the future of your life and the human experience through the lens of Easter, the lens of love. If you've got your Bible, I'd like you to open to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to have a little bit of Mark 15 and a little bit of Mark 16, and if you're using a paper version of your Bible, you can stick your finger in Ephesians because we're going to look at Ephesians in a little while as well. And I'm going to read Mark 15 That's big 15, verse 42, that's little 42. Mark, big 15, little 42 in your Bible. It says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb." Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, she, and he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Let's pray. Father, these three words, he has risen, are the crux of humanity's history, the point at which everything changed. And Father, we count it a privilege that in this nation, in fact, this very moment right now, we have the the freedom to proclaim that he is risen. And Father, the implications of those three words are far-reaching, further than we will ever know. But I pray that we would understand that they reach into our very hearts this morning to bring us new life and to know you in greater fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. 
these two stanzas of Scripture, one at the end of Mark 15 and the other here at the beginning of Mark 16, actually stand in quite stark contrast to one another, you may have noticed. In the first instance, the spring sun was settling below the horizon that Friday evening and it appeared that a full stop had been added to the final paragraph of Jesus' life. The inevitability of death seemingly caught up with the very human, yet very God, Jesus. In this Mark 15, this is an account of finality. If for what we know to come next, this was it. It was the end, a reckoning with death. Things up to this point had seemingly gone to um, the murderous plan of the Romans. The cross had achieved its end. The threat to the Roman Empire was null and void. And now a cold, dank tomb cut into the rocky hillside would house a very dead Jesus. It would appear, should the story stop here, that this would be an incredible moment of defeat. When the longer you stop and ponder the implications of a dead Jesus, the more we realize there was to be lost. When the countless people, no less an entire nation, who had pinned their hopes on this man, and these hopes now being as dead and buried as Jesus himself. I mean, he was, as he professed, and as they hoped, the promised Messiah, who only a week earlier, as he rode into Jerusalem, shouted, Hosanna in the highest, Lord, save us. He was the one who, when he lived, healed their sick, who included the outcasts, who fed the crowds, who challenged both Roman and religious power, who, who fought for justice for those on the margins, who upset oppressive systems, who disrupted the status quo, who fought and proclaimed freedom for those bound by chains of sin and infirmity and hardness of heart. And he showed all of the world another way to be human. Yet, he, those he loved and who loved him, sat feeling the full weight of defeat, despairing for their future, without hope for tomorrow, and with fear creeping up and up and up as they pondered their future. On June the 18th, 1815, one of the most infamous battles of Europe took place the Battle of Waterloo. This battle pitted the French army commanded by Napoleon against the Anglo-German-Dutch allied forces commanded by the Duke of Wellington. This was the most decisive battle of its age. In fact, it would become the conclusion of a war that had raged for 23 years as Napoleon Bonaparte led an aggressive and unrelenting attack to dominate Europe. Back in London, there was an entire city waiting with bated breath 
to hear from the front lines the result of this infamous battle. After all, the outcome of this war would be determined by what went down at Waterloo. It would determine the future and the freedom of Western Europe and beyond and bring to an end decades of unrest, fear and the horrors of war, at least for then anyway. In those days, there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook, there was no messenger, there was no email. Can you believe it? There wasn't even a fax machine by which they could send from what is now Belgium back to London to let the people know the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. News of the outcome had to come by boat. And being all of this taking place in modern-day Belgium, it was just across the English Channel from the southeast coast of London. And so Wellington sent a sailing ship heading westward with the news. As it neared the coast, a signalman semaphored, which is a new uh, word for me I learnt this week, and semaphoring was the act of getting little flags and they would make different movements with these flags to communicate a message to people on the land. And so this signal, signalman semaphored with coded flags the news to watchmen who were atop the Winchester Cathedral. And so as the ship was coming in, there was somebody on deck, give me a W, give me an E, give me an L, doing these kind of things to communicate a message to a watchman high above the cathedral who was then ready himself to semaphore the message from hill to hill to hill and communicate what was happening. When the ship came in, the signalman on board semaphored the first word. And he made it out, and each movement was a different letter. W, L, I don't know what they are. L, I, N, G, T, O, N, Wellington. And this watchman up in the towers got Wellington so far coming from this ship. And at that moment, he started making out the next word, and it was D, E, F, E, A, T, E, D. Defeated. Wellington defeated. And at that moment, it is recorded that a fog, not unusual for London, rolled in. And it came down upon the ship, and the ship could not be seen. Wellington defeated, went across England, and there was great gloom over all of the countryside. All of London fell under the hush of disappointment and defeat and despair as they considered a future ruled by this aggressor. Wellington was their hope and the news of his defeat weighed heavily upon them. Now for Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James as they woke that morning and headed toward the tomb where Jesus lay, they would have felt like Londoners on the 18th of June, 1815. Despairing for their future, disappointed that victory wasn't won for them in the end, feeling defeated. I mean, we can hear it in their voices as the two Marys walk toward the tomb. 
unsure what they would find, but full well knowing that the Jesus whom they loved only days earlier was put to death and now was buried in a hillside. And as they walked that journey, they even asked themselves and came to the realization of the enormous rock limiting their access. And they said to each other, well, who is even going to roll the stone away for us? What's the point? You know, I can see Mary saying to Mary, why, why are we even bothering? And this depth of defeat would have been palpable among Jesus' followers in that moment. And not only is he dead, but we can't even get to him and honor him as he deserves. I can imagine there wasn't much more that these women could muster in terms of hope or courage. They may as well turn around right there and then and taken their bat and ball and headed for home. But they didn't. Mary and Mary stayed the course. In London that day, the watchmen didn't leave their posts neither. Perhaps they weren't allowed to. Perhaps they didn't want to face uh, the atmosphere of defeat that was circling in their city. Perhaps they had a flicker of hope within their hearts that perhaps that wasn't the end, that there was more to the story. Two hours after the signalman had first semaphored the message, Wellington defeated, the fog, as fog does, began to lift. The watchmen in the tower of Winchester Cathedral stirred as they noticed through the lifting haze that old mate wasn't done giving away his signals. Assuming he hadn't gone mad and that he was still trying to communicate with them, they squinted sharply to see the message that was still to come. Wellington defeated. Yeah, we've got that bit. Wait, wait. They kind of nudged each other. There's something else coming. Wellington defeated. The? Is he spelling the? Yeah, he's spelling the. And then the Sigmund, he stopped to scratch his bum or pick his wedgie and they got all frustrated. Come on, son, tell us the number kind of moment. And they are thinking, just get on with it. You're probably thinking the same. <laughs> Wellington defeated the enemy and all of London rejoiced. I mean, this was their mark chapter 16, verse 4, moment, which is the second stanza of the Easter story, and it begins in verse 4, Mark 16, verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a robe of white, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. For three days, a fog had settled on the earth 
and in the hearts of those who had loved and followed Jesus, who, but for a short time, sat in despair and defeat. But death, like the London fog, was only temporary. It lifted, and so had he. The message, he is risen, ricocheted through that empty tomb and pierced the crisp morning air, no less their very hearts. A banner of victory replaced a banner of defeat. He is risen, the banner said. He is risen, the little guy on the ship with the flags. He is risen. And today, over a landscape of a world riddled with fear, despairing for the future, and feeling somewhat defeated, if we look to the events of the last few years, even before that, if we look to politics and we look to economics and we look to our environment, dare we even look into our own hearts still, There is a man in a white robe from an empty grave within each one of us signaling to our hearts and the world over, he is risen. And if I had the flags and I knew the signals, I would have done the dance for you this morning. He is risen. When the second stanza of this scripture began on the, on the hinge of a small yet not insignificant word. Mark 16, verse 4, the very first word in the ESV, but, but. Our God is a God who loves a good but. Throughout human history, he's been putting buts in the story at each and every turn. As we look through the scriptures, uh, the universe was dark and without form, but God created. Abraham followed God's directives to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God provided a ram in the thicket at the very last moment. There was a plague of death across all of Egypt, but God passed over them. There was a plague, uh, sorry, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, but God set them free. On their escape, they were trapped with an enemy on one side and a sea on the other, but God made a way through the water. There was no food or water for them in the desert, but God fed them from the heavens and he gave them water from a rock. They were lost in the desert, but God gave them a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day to navigate their way home. There were 5,000 hungry men plus others on a hillside, but Jesus fed them. There was a dead man named Lazarus, but Jesus raised him. A blind man named Bartimaeus, but Jesus healed him. There was a stone in front of the tomb, but it was rolled away. There was a body in the grave, but it is not here. There was a dead Jesus, but he is risen. The resurrection of Jesus has made a way for God to drop a life-changing but into your story. I want to close by reading Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through to 22. And there is a demonstration of 
the implication of God dropping butts into the human history and into yours and my life. All the kids are you giggling at me? <laughs> he said, but. <laughs> if you've got your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 22. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were nature by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming of ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Therefore, verse 11, remember that at one time, pre-but, now at one time before this, and then God dropped a but into the middle of your story, called the uncircumcision by that which is the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, before God intervened in your story, before God turned up, before God started rewriting a different future for you. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's our pre-but situation. Verse 13, but, here's another one, but now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father so that you who are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I don't need to preach to you this morning. The word of God is preaching this morning. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
because of what Jesus did in surrendering his life and rising victoriously from death. We were dead in sin, but because of his great mercy, we are alive with Christ. We were distant, but we have been brought near. We were without hope and without purpose, but now we have hope and you and I are called to purpose. We were separated, strangers to God, but now he calls us friends and gives us a new family, the church. We were a home unto ourselves and the selfishness therein, but now in these still imperfect bodies, we are a home to God himself. We were defeated, but now in him we stand victorious. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Now, the redemptive work of God in our hearts is the live stream of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We can get on YouTube and watch things in replay, that's great. But when you get to watch something live, it has a whole different meaning. And this story of God dropping a big butt into the middle of the human story in Jesus' death and his resurrection and God dropping that same butt into our lives as we recognize that same call to dying to self and coming alive in Christ. That our very lives are the live stream for the world to watch as we see God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. As both the cross and the resurrection shape and reshape our hearts and our lives to reflect to the world the truth and power of God's unrelenting love for us and his world. Because of what he has done for us, we have a but in our story that has the power to change the world. And so I want to say to you on this Easter Sunday, and it's only got one T, go and share your but. <laughs> I mean, last night, my friend from the Northern Beaches, he shared his <laughs> but just that moment where God brought him back from the brink. And I'm not sure what the story that God has done in your life, if it's the same or similar or it rhymes or it smells or it sounds like my friend from the Northern Beaches or it is of entirely different substance altogether. The message of Easter is that God has put a defining moment in the middle of history and it is living within our hearts. So I want you to tell someone what God has done. I want you to tell somebody how God has loved you. I want you to tell somebody how God has saved you. I want you to tell somebody how God has made you new. Because we are the live stream 
of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And as Avril said, we have this opportunity to share this with our children. And if it isn't our lives on live stream for them to see and to experience and to engage with, I don't want to fear for the future because the Lord is building his church. But what a gift we have to share our story, to share what Easter has done, not just in that moment, but what Easter does in my life day after day after day after day. And so may our lives be a signal of victory to the world that he is risen.